Hello, and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading emerging markets information and advisory services firm. We partner with business leaders at over 200 multinationals by providing them with research, analytical tools, and proprietary data that help power their emerging market business strategies. The focus of today's podcast is the second half revision to FSG's global outlook for 2015. My name is Richard Leggett, and I'm the CEO of Frontier Strategy Group. I'm joined today in studio by Lauren Goodwin, FSG's lead global economics analyst. As a reminder, this research and all of our content is available via our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com or via your FSG iPad application. Lauren, welcome. Thanks, Rich. It's great to be here. The first few months of 2015 have been quite difficult for our clients uh, who are operating across emerging markets. And and I I guess as a starting question, I'm curious to what extent our global outlook has held up or has changed in this environment. For the most part, our global outlook is is very much intact, and which is why we're calling this submission of the global outlook mostly a revision. Namely, the three drivers that we see being a mainstay of the global economy this year being low energy prices, a strong dollar, and abundant capital, low interest rates available to our clients, but not necessarily to their partners and customers in emerging markets, are reinforced in this uh, this first six months of the year and looking into the second half. And each of these drivers reinforce one another, which we think will keep our outlook stable throughout the rest of the year. And the drivers are likely to remain true more or less for the next couple of years. And this results in an environment in which emerging markets are growing more slowly and in some cases recessing, uh, which makes the risk-reward payoff for our clients pretty different, and particularly in markets where we anticipate the slowdown to be longer-lasting, like Russia. Let's unpack it a little bit further. Energy prices have improved since the start of the year, and the dollar has weakened somewhat recently. Do we expect this trend to continue, and has it changed the initial uh, ranges in our view from earlier in the year? We anticipate that the the dynamic that we've described in the global outlook is very much in play and will resurge as the U.S. Federal Reserve raises interest rates later in the year. In the first six months of the year, with a little bit of last year, some of the differences that we have seen are that energy exporters were impacted more negatively and more quickly than we anticipated, uh, where energy importers were helped more slowly and and less than we anticipated in regards to the windfall that we thought energy prices might provide to those energy importers. So we have seen a little bit of of adjustment there, uh, but we're not seeing the moderation in the global economic environment right now uh, change our view. In fact, we think that it will very much come into play later in the year. So energy price range for the year, uh, ending the year? Uh, By the end of the year, we think that energy prices will be lower than they are now. Uh, So thinking, $40, $45 a barrel uh, when the U.S. raises interest rates again, giving time for that drop. Uh, We see storage uh, still very, very high, much, much higher than five-year averages and and ready to come online. While the U.S. is reducing their rig count, Saudi Arabia is increasing their their rig count. So the, the supply and demand fundamentals with emerging markets having weak growth still show that energy prices should be much lower than they are now. That said, when we think about a year long average, we're still looking at 55 $60 $60 a barrel throughout the whole year because of the higher prices we're seeing right now. Got it. And so then when we look at this uh, this revision to the report, if you will, this version of the report, what are some of the key headlines or the focal points of the report? 
Much of the conversation that we are driving now with our clients has uh, shifted to the reality and the moderation of energy prices and the strong dollar that you've just outlined and focusing on what will happen when the Fed does raise interest rates. Because again, when that happens, we will see a resurgence of a strong dollar, which will drive oil prices lower and very much influence the way that our clients are doing their business in emerging markets. And the reason that's true is that emerging markets typically raise interest rates when the Fed does to avoid currency depreciation. But because emerging markets growth has been so slow this year up to this point, and many governments are struggling, we think that the emerging markets monetary leaders actually have a choice. They'll either raise rates as we've typically seen in the past in crises like the one we're experiencing now, or they might not. Uh, They might uh, keep interest rates the same or even lower them in order to stimulate growth out of the more sluggish pace that they've been seeing lately. So if you had to handicap that decision, how do you think through that? Is it tied to whether you're an energy exporter or energy importer, or is it is it tied to just other factors that are very specific to each each of the economies? It's pretty country specific. For example, in Brazil, we've seen because the rail has depreciated so much over the past year, uh, we have seen the central bank already raise interest rates to the the 12, 13, 14 percent line, which means there isn't a whole lot of room to raise them anymore. Brazil will be in a very different situation than Indonesia, for example, where the sluggish growth and um, hoping for more infrastructure investment has positioned the monetary policy to be a little bit more um, in the form of stimulus there. So it really depends on the country. But the way that our clients are thinking about that environment is is where we come in to help them think about their, their key markets. Staying with the U.S. for a second, the U.S. interest rate hike is clearly a key debate point amongst economists globally right now, and specifically around timing and how much and what, what we can expect. What's your view? Our view has not changed. Uh, we've held to a September-October rate hike for this year, and uh, financial markets have caught up with that opinion a little bit. And the reason that we were holding for September-October as opposed to earlier in the year, such as the June meeting, for example, is that U.S. growth is is positive, but it's not quite at the the, the tight labor market and the, the acceleration that we were hoping that we would see by the beginning of this year. Some things, uh, we, we've seen low growth in, in the first quarter of this year, which we think at FSG will actually be revised down. Uh, we saw two-tenths of a percent growth. We think that it will be revised down to closer to 1% contraction. That's just a headline number. That's fine. But some of the, the things that we're more curious about are seeing wages firm up a little bit in the states. And some of the factors, such as a strong dollar, which are inhibiting exports and manufacturing in the U.S. economy, as well as then some of the one-off disruptions such as port disruptions, bad weather, and and this year and last year really are worse weather than normal for Q1. We're seeing those things weigh and and give confusing data to the Fed. And so we expect that the second quarter will still be weak, but the third quarter and fourth quarter will start to look stronger and and push towards that increase in interest rates. When it does happen, we're looking at 25 basis points, so a quarter of a percent, not a huge amount, but very symbolically important. And your outlook for the dollar uh, versus emerging market currencies? The dollar, when the U.S. does raise interest rates, will continue its upward trajectory. We've seen a moderation now as financial markets have realized that it will be a little bit later in the year. But that dollar strength will resurge when the Fed raises rates. And do you expect the currency volatility that we saw last year and and sort of at the end of the year before where it looked like the the Fed was potentially raising rates and and gave that head fake and we saw emerging market currencies just kind of go into a tailspin? Do, Do you expect to see a similar effect with this rate? 
rate increase, which seems to be kind of as telegraphed of a rate increase as, as I've ever seen? Yes, unfortunately, we do expect that currency volatility will remain a pretty serious problem for our clients. Now, this is probably looking at a 5 to 10% depreciation for most currencies. The currencies that will struggle the most are those where dollar debt, sovereign debt, uh, is highest. So where the financial markets can pick out that countries will struggle the most in rolling over that debt, for example, in the medium and long term, that's where currencies are going to struggle the most. And some of the other things that we're looking at are, again, idiosyncratic factors where individual countries have been having trouble adjusting to the environment that we've seen now, it's reasonable to expect they'll have trouble adjusting again, which unfortunately might be a self-fulfilling prophecy. I need to ask you about China as well, just given the slowing pace of growth in China and our view there, has it changed? Kind of what are we looking at headline view for China, given uh, that that's the other kind of huge engine powering a lot of these markets? We anticipate 7% growth for China, which is a little bit more bullish than some of the public sources available, such as the IMF, who see 6.8% growth, for example. You see a lot of monetary stimulus and measures out of China to boost up the economy, which has many analysts thinking that China isn't doing as well as it could be doing. China's certainly struggling. It is slowing. The reason that our forecasts aren't even lower than they are before is that we think that China is engaging these uh, stimulus policies in advance, in time, to prompt that soft landing. And in addition to that, we think that the government probably has a more aggressive growth target internally, so that even if it misses its growth target internally, it's still hitting the, the one externally. Since we saw 7% growth in Q1, which is our anticipation for the year, uh, we think that that's pretty reasonable. There's a really interesting chart in your global outlook uh, that shows emerging markets growth and the growth spread between emerging and developed markets. And we see that spread continuing to narrow. Could you talk a little bit about what that looks like and where you see it trending? Sure. We, we do see emerging markets growing more slowly in 2015 than developed markets are. That's mostly due to the slowdown in major emerging markets such as Russia and Brazil, China, more so than that developed markets are doing so well. Certainly the U.S. and Europe are doing better than they did last year, so that helps. But really, this is a slowdown in emerging markets that we see improving next year, but taking a few years to adjust to the dynamic of a strong dollar and lower oil prices that we're seeing now. In terms of what our clients are, are grappling with is that that lower growth, you know, even if emerging markets are growing 5%, it's from a, a pretty low base. And so the risk-reward trajectory for our clients in those markets that are causing them a lot of trouble now are being renegotiated. They're thinking twice and engaging market prioritization and demand planning as a result of that more moderate long-term trajectory. I want to come back to kind of client reaction to this environment in a second, but I, I'd, I'd be remiss because you did mention Europe and we're sitting here almost on the eve of uh, the next uh, debt repayment from Greece. And obviously there's a lot of concern about the Greece and scenarios that'll play out. And I thought it, it's worth just spending a moment on, on Greece and how you see this playing out and, and the impact to the global uh, economy. Sure. Our, our most likely scenario for Greece is that Greece will default, but that it won't leave the euro. And and this is a little bit of a controversial stance. Germany's worst nightmare. Germany's it? worst nightmare. In, um, in the event that Greece does default, what we see happening is less of the disorderly situation that many analysts perceive, although it certainly would be a disorderly default. Um, but the Greece throwing up its hand saying, we, can, we just can't pay. Um, and the IMF and and European Commission and European Central Bank taking the country 
pausing financial markets, taking the country under conservatorship, figuring it out. This figuring it out would be more or less along the lines of the negotiations that have been happening right now. So what you would see in terms of Europe is a very negative impact on European banks. I think it would set us back six months at least in terms of writing down those loans. Germany especially hasn't done a great job of that in its regional banks. And so you would see more of a reel in terms of pulling back investment to businesses and households, which would limit job growth and sort of cut off the nascent recovery we're seeing right now. I don't see a huge panic in terms of financial markets. Most countries like Spain, like Italy, have done a pretty good job of saying we don't agree with what Greece is doing, which should stave off some of the financial market impact. Still pretty negative in the short term. Long term perhaps puts Greece on a more positive trajectory, but it still has a substantial debt burden to deal with. Two follow-ups on that. First of all, with regards to the European banks, haven't they been essentially insulating themselves from this scenario? They've had plenty of lead time to uh, to to be you know carefully protect their assets and and unwind some of these investments that they're holding in terms of Greek Greek debt Greek banks or is is it still a huge exposure for them It's a pretty big exposure still I think that the European banks are still much better protected than they were and some of those firewalls that banks have put up will be what helps I think stave off some of that financial market reaction but in terms of the real economy what's going to happen is is the European banks the large ones the systemically important ones underwent bank stress test last year. That's part of why we saw bank lending contracting much more in 2014 than even in the last crisis in 2012. So banks are holding this capital because they have to, which means they're not lending it. We've just started seeing that bank lending maybe think about coming out to businesses and households, which would be very positive. 85% of capital financing in Europe is from banks, which is astonishing, quite frankly. So what you see in the case of a Greek default is that the banks that perhaps weren't systemic important that weren't checked to the same degree as the big banks start coming out with these write-offs. Again, not necessarily a severe crisis, but certainly something to to reckon with where banks have to build rebuild those capital bases and thus pull off for another year from lending to households. Right, it sort of it sort of throws a wrench into the uh, progress that's been made in terms of lending. Momentum. Exactly. And then the second question is you mentioned uh, Spain and Italy and Portugal. These these are other countries that there's always been concerned that you know they're the next shoe to drop should we be worried about that because that that dialogue will inevitably pick up again if if greece does default and go into conservatorship I'm not as worried now as I was six months ago. It was very unclear that the financial market reaction to a Greek issue would be as stable as some of the firewalls economically and financially would suggest. And the reason for that is these anti-austerity movements in almost every European country are strengthening. There's a big backlash against these policies of of cutting pensions because job growth just still isn't there. Even Spain, who's growing at two and a half, two point seven percent this year, that's not creating the type of job growth that keeps people happy. Spain's in a good position, but politically there, there are some difficulties. The reason I'm not as worried now as I was six months ago is that the governments of these countries have done a pretty good job of positioning themselves against the Greek reaction to the Greek crisis. So Syriza comes into power in Greece, strongly anti-austerity. Other governments have gone a long way to say, we support how we've come so far. We're going to stick to it. And that's important. 
Okay. We could probably go on for hours about this, but I, I did want to touch the subject. Last question. So we've got emerging markets slowing down, U.S. interest rates coming, the potential Greek default. How are clients reacting to this environment? And what are you hearing in your discussions with our, with our multinational clients? Unfortunately, most of our clients took a few months to figure out what was going on. The resurgence of this dynamic of a strong dollar and lower oil prices all at the same time impacted a lot of their markets in different ways, and it took a little while for everybody to catch up, understandably. So in the first quarter of this year, we've spent a lot of time getting our clients up to speed with what the dynamic might look like over the next 12, 18 months. Scenarios. Scenarios, exactly. And so now looking into later in the year, we do see industrials companies where M&A is more common, taking advantage of a strong dollar and lower interest rates to lock in good deals. A lot of our clients are worried about exchange rate risk and doing the best to work with their partners and customers in market to to work on those issues. And uh, certainly working with us where demand planning and predictive analytics are concerned in these this new normal environment to understand where their best bets might be placed, given that some of these markets aren't growing as quickly as they were before. So it's the pockets of growth theme. Exactly. Lauren, uh, I think we're up against time. I want to thank you for the time and for sharing these insights. As a reminder, you can speak with Lauren or any member of the FSG research team at any time by scheduling via your FSG client relationship director. You can also access all of our research, our global economics, as well as all global research and our ever-expanding leading indicator data on our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com. And while you're there, please take a moment to check out our newly released Frontier View dashboards, our fully customizable and really cool online management tool. This concludes our podcast. Until next time, we wish you great outperformance in your emerging markets.